Servants from Amal's village had been travelling as migrant labourers to the Gulf. When they returned home, many brought its more austere, rigid customs and belief system with them, and now, well-funded preachers spreading Salafism, Saudi Arabia's fundamentalist interpretation of Islam, were beginning to appear in Egyptian mosques and on the popular cassettes of sermons sold from street stalls. But this new religious orthodoxy dovetailed with deeper-rooted convictions. The Coptic Christian minority, who made up about 10% of Egyptians, were hardly less conservative than their neighbours, and, especially in the villages of what Egyptians called the Sayyid, the sweltering 600-mile or 1,000-kilometre stretch of southern Egypt that began with the Fayyum, They also participated in the unknown number of honour killings that went largely unreported to the police and unpunished by the courts. Amal didn't want to wear a kamar, but she had no desire to be beaten or insulted by her teachers, her classmates, or anyone else. Dad, I really need to wear the kamar, she told her father as soon as she got home. Her father was kind and he had far less rigid beliefs about religion than her teachers, but he believed as strongly as everyone else in the clear hierarchy of authority that governed society from top to bottom. Just as faithful Muslims submitted to God, the people to the president, farmers and workers to the elite, women to men, his authority in the family was never questioned. No, he said, You wear a headscarf, and that's quite enough. There's no reason for anything more. The way things were already done, in his eyes, was the way they should stay. But Dad, Amal began. Her stomach flipped over at the thought of facing the teachers and boys without a kamar. I said no, he repeated firmly. Amal had to save her pocket money, hoarding the few dollars her father gave her each week until she had enough to buy the big, ugly cloak. She hid it from her parents and put it on when she went to school in the mornings. She was learning that the punishment for honesty was harsh and that the best way around inflexible rules was outward compliance and surreptitious disobedience. To survive, she would have to sacrifice her own desires and beliefs to fulfil the expectations of the society around her. But unlike many of her friends, she still, secretly, kept her desire for freedom. While Amal donned her kamar, the state's vision of a modern Egyptian woman was quite different. It had been shaped along with the military regime itself, under Gamal Abdul Nasser, in the 1950s and 60s, when Paris and Rome had set the trends in the chic districts of Cairo and Alexandria. Now, in the late 1990s, female employees of State TV and the national airline Egypt Air were still banned from wearing even a headscarf, let alone a kimar or face veil, In elite circles, overtly Islamic dress was considered frumpy and déclassé, a mark of bigotry and, worse, insularity. The official face of women's rights was the bareheaded, glamorously made-up, 
half Welsh, first lady, Suzanne Mubarak. Her choice of causes, at least in the eyes of the West and the Egyptian elite, was beyond reproach. She campaigned against female genital mutilation, which was still legal and had been performed on around nine out of ten adult Egyptian women, for improving literacy, as less than half of Egyptian women were literate against two-thirds of men, and for legislation giving women more equal divorce and custody rights, and introducing a parliamentary quota for women, the international community applauded and showered her with awards. But at home, her initiatives were the mark of a state that was losing touch with its citizens. Suzanne Mubarak was completely out of step with the realities of life for ordinary Egyptian women.